0: What's up, Joe? Robert, happy new year! How are you, sir?
1: Happy new year to you too, my friend. I'm doing extraordinarily well, uh, given how fast this new year has begun from a business perspective. Is it 2021 yet? (laughs) Yeah, right. I mean, it is amazing to me how quickly 2020 has become like okay, let's you know, let's do this. Let's just do it. Let's just yeah. Let's not wait. Let's just go.
0: It is odd. that everyone keeps talking about. I think I heard it the other day. It's we are as close to 2050 as we were as we are
1: 1990. Oh yeah, which is nuts. Just, it's absolutely crazy. Just makes that, you feel I mean, old. Yes, it does. Well, we've been
0: um, we both been in marketing before digital devices, which is kind of scary. But
1: anyways, well, think about think about it this way. We are right now to the 19 let's call it 1980s music like you know the music that you and i love so much you know yeah. 19 the 80s 80s classic music we are right now to 80s classic music what we were in 1980 to like big band <laughs> like like us in 1980 listening to big band and and you know all of the classic 1940s music is where we are today
0: well, you've really started this on an upbeat. <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly.
1: Here we go. Time yeah. just
0: flies so quickly. So do you have really any does. good news? Do you have any good things to talk
1: about? Besides I don't that? have oh, yeah. I certainly have no good news when it comes to our football teams. Oh, that is for sure. Other than the fact that I guess, you know, both of our teams, for those of you who don't follow football, are not only out of the playoffs, but out of the playoffs with, with, uh, with, with what they call uh, Prejudice. Um, and um, you know the we have a new coach. We have a whole new coaching staff. You, your lovely Cleveland Browns, do not have anything looking like a new well, coach I, as yes, yet.
0: Your your Cowboys' new coach. That's that's who I wanted for our Browns' coach. But you got him because yeah. why wouldn't he pick the Cowboys over the Browns? I mean, that's a no brainer. You wouldn't pick, well, of
1: them. course. The, well, the that's, Browns I mean, is a last uh, yeah.
0: resort type of job these days. <laughs> no, here I a serious question and I'm not going to go for those of you listening. We're not going to talk very long about football, but I I'm totally interested in your take on this. Why would an organization hire a coach before a general manager?
1: You mean the Cowboys? No, no,
0: no. I mean the oh. Browns.
1: Oh, yes, that is crazy talk.
0: Why why would yeah, not. why why I can't understand why they do the that. only
1: team. The, and the reason I said you do you mean the Cowboys is because the only team in the NFL that I would think that would do that would be the Cowboys. Because Jerry Jones, the owner of the Cowboys, serves as general manager and is the only team in the NFL, I believe, that does that and and constantly gets, you know, crap for it. Yeah. But, but well, um, well yeah. at least you but at least, if, if, but at least if you have serving. that model. Yeah. He's yeah. If you have that model, manager. then no, you wouldn't. It would definitely not do that.
0: Yeah, in this But the case, Browns
1: would do that because that's very Brown-like.
0: Yeah, exactly. I don't understand. It's like why <sighs> – sometimes you just, just follow the formula of winning teams. Sometimes, sometimes. – you, you don't have to reinvent everything. Let's just hire a general manager. Then that general manager gets together with their team. They hire a coach. That coach hires their coaching staff. Then they pick the players. And then at some point – 37 years later, you win. I mean, come on. What's the deal? <laughs> right, You'd I'm... like
1: to think that, wouldn't you?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm done. I'm just tired of seeing Baker Mayfield progressive commercials when, I'm sorry, and I love Baker Mayfield, but he just had a horrendous year. We need to stop with the commercials for a while, and we just yeah. need to go work on our throws and patterns and you know stuff like that.
1: That's it. Speaking of throws and patterns, should we get our throws and patterns underway here?
0: Begrudgedly, yes, we could do that.
1: That's why. <laughs> Okay. Let's roll.
0: And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, P&R, with this old marketing. Take it away, boys.
1: Hello, my friends. This is Robert Rose. Welcome to episode number 225 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded Thursday, January 9th, 2019. And with me, my good friend, my colleague, and the one guy who actually did like the Cats movie, Mr. Joe Polizzi, how are you, my friend? <laughs> did you see the Cats movie? I have not yet, but I sort of want to. I, I, I have so many friends who have gone and hate-watched it, um, who said it's just... It's that bad. It's that bad that it's almost worth going to.
0: I I want to see the version before they cleaned it up because I heard yeah, they exactly. released a version that was just horrible, and
1: then they tweaked that one, which is bad but not as now bad. Now you know when we're living in the future when they patch movies. Oh, <laughs> oh my,
0: it's <that's laughs> amazing. Sending
1: out a sending out a one point five version. Yeah, they of show, the movie. they threw
0: out a beta version of it. I mean, that's <laughs> no. I'll tell you the movie that that uh, Pam and I saw yesterday. We saw Uncut Gems with Adam Sandler. Oh, I heard that's really good. Now, first of all, Adam Sandler, maybe the best performance. And now I don't know this. I know this is not saying much. That's a low bar. Yes. (laughs) But he was amazing. Like, he literally should get nominated for multiple things for this. That said, I could barely stay in my seat for this. This movie is so intense. And there's so many horrible things that happen in it. I just... Like I told Pam, it was we were probably it's probably a half hour left in the movie, and I said I think I need to go, and I've never <laughs> felt like that with any movie ever. I mean, I've seen all the Tarantino movies, I've seen some real weird stuff, I've never been to a movie where I actually had to get up and go.
1: This one, I've heard it's, I've ugh. heard it's, uh, I've heard it's intense. Wow, I'll tell you, that's something. So, now I
0: I got I we, I walked out and I'm like, can we go see Frozen 2 or something? <laughs> I just need to calm down. This is just way too intense for me. Oh
1: so, my gosh. Yeah, that's uh that's oh, you make me want to see it now. With that uh, no, I think that no, movie. actually, I think you would really appreciate it. It I can't I say I don't
0: know I don't know if I liked it or not. But boy, it makes you think and you got all kinds of emotions and jeez. Kevin Garnett, by the way, is plays a great role. He plays himself, the former uh, Balt- ba- uh, Boston yeah. Celtics, yeah, center does a great job. But anyways, have you seen right. any? What any? But before we go on, I know we have to talk marketing and stuff. So no movies lately.
1: You haven't. Seen well, that? the one that I saw was one that's not terribly um, new. Um, I mean, of course, I saw the new Star Wars finally, sure. um, and uh, and loved it. By the way. Um, and uh, the one that I saw that is not new but but was new to me over the holiday was uh, the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the, the, the Tarantino movie. What'd you think of it? I thought it was long and boring. Did you really? Um, yeah, I did. I thought it was, I, I thought, I I did not anticipate the ending, um, and I won't spoil it here, but but um, I actually am glad that they ended it the way that they ended it. Um because I thought it was going one way and, and I would have been really, really mad. Oh, yeah, you it. didn't see that one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I actually, yeah. I enjoyed the movie. I I thought that... I thought the acting it, was great. I thought the acting was top-notch, right? You know, well, So it's, Pitt and DiCaprio are fantastic. Um, all the acting is top-notch. I just thought it was indulgent. Well, I, just, I just found it very indulgent.
0: It seems like only Tarantino can get away with a scene where Brad Pitt is driving in a car and it's two and a half minutes worth of that. That's right. That's and they literally, means. there are parts of that or uh, the, the Sharon Tate, uh, who plays Sharon Tate in that one? Margot Robbie. Margot Robbie. So Margot Robbie, same thing. So there's probably 15 minutes of people just driving around in cars with music <laughs> exactly.
1: playing. Exactly. Well, and it's meant to be a love letter to 1960s, well, really 1970s because it takes place in 1969, but you know, sort of late 60s early 70s Hollywood. And and so it's a it's definitely a love letter and it's definitely a you go, "Oh my gosh, I, you know, for, for, especially for those of us who have lived in LA, for you know a long time, I've been here since nineteen you know eighty seven, and so a lot of those things that they, a lot of the places they went were my hangouts. Yeah. Um, you know when they were around in the late eighties, and so it's it's kind of fun from that perspective, but from a storytelling perspective, I was just kind of bored. It's a, it's a little bit slow. It's worth it for two scenes, the end, which I won't
0: give away, which is incredible I guess is the best way to put it yeah. and the the look back scene where Brad Pitt fights Bruce Lee
1: yeah that's a really funny scene this <laughs> is
0: so that's funny really I can funny watch scene. that a hundred times I just cracked yeah. myself up it's so funny so anyways do we have a uh, do we have we do. marketing stuff
1: we to actually talk about? it's a sl- it's a slow time for the news year but we have CES and we're gonna talk a little bit about CES Yay! of course in this episode Yay! And uh, But that's not where we're going to start for our Top of the Show segment, Ooh. which of course is the one thing that sort of sets our theme for the week. Um, and uh, this one comes to us courtesy of the New York Times for our Top of the Show uh, article, and it's entitled, Your Digital Detox May Be Toxic for Advertising. Uh, The article opens up by saying companies spent $99 billion on mobile ads last year, even as some made commercials that acknowledge the downside of smartphones. And then they have a picture of an ad for the Amazon-owned audiobook company Audible, um, where it's a picture of a woman who's basically trying to uh, read her book on the phone. The article goes on by saying, people are growing weary of the constant stream of alerts on their phones and struggling to make it through a meal without checking their screens. They're worried about being tracked, they have tech neck, and it hurts. As digital culture moves out of its honeymoon phase, a backlash industry has sprung up with coaches to help people break up with their devices, digital detox camps, and tech diets. Mindful of the new mindfulness, Apple and Google have incorporated screen time monitors into their products. A new study that tracked how 2,400 Americans use their mobile devices uh, over the 14 months backs up this general sense of fatigue, and it found that 64% of participants scaled back their app use during the time that they were tracked, spending four hours a day on the apps down from five at the beginning of this study. In other words, if we know we're getting tracked, we start to be more mindful about it. Anyway, the article goes on to describe uh, really, the advertising industry being a little nervous about this becoming, you know, sort of the decrease in screen time, the decrease of usage. Um, what did you think about this? So did you have a Did you have a take on this whole well, article here? F- well, first of all, <laughs> first of all, first of all, the people went from
0: five from five hours to four. I mean, right? Four? Exactly. That's a lot. Yeah. Which, that's a lot of time. That is it is a lot of time. So, okay, here's my take. Yes, is there a little bit of a backlash against using the smartphone and are people looking at experiences that they're not on their phone and going out and doing things with friends and um, untethering themselves? Yes, we are seeing that, but we're probably seeing it from the move from five hours to four hours. That's what... <laughs> So it's right. basically nothing. Um, yes. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you've seen with, with this with some of your friends I have where you, you make a special, um, you do special things to make sure that you're not on your phone and you have time, deliberate time away from your device, but still you're not seeing, this is not going to make any kind of impact, at least from what I can tell on, uh, on advertising or digital spending or anything like that. Um, I would like to say that that there's there'd be an opportunity on the marketing side to let's say, hey, what if we focused on more in-person experiences? What if we put on events for our customers uh, that they you know they didn't have to be on social media or their smartphone? That's where I'd like to see this go, but I just don't see it happening. I, it's this is a this is a huge, huge issue. Uh, and I don't, I don't see the you know the move away from you know 15%, 10%. That's going to make any kind of impact on uh, advertising spending. I don't know what you think.
1: Well, I think there's 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 two aspects of this that intrigue me. Um, The first is just as you very appropriately pointed out, five to four. Okay, you know, it's like really. Um, The the key here is is that and we've seen this for. 10 years, you know, going, you know, since this is the beginning of the new decade, let's go back to 2010, really, and and look at what we've seen happen with media consumption. And what has happened is, is that, you know, media consumption itself has probably not increased that much. It's increased some for sure, but it hasn't increased that much. In other words, what we've added is the internet. Which increases our media consumption at places like work um, and, and places like while we're waiting in line for the train um, and all of the places where we would normally have separation from media consumption. We can now fill that time. What's happened really is that we've now started to multitask our media consumption, right? So we not only watch television, but we also have our phone in our hand scrolling through Facebook as we watch television. Um, we post on social media as we watch you know, uh, you know, a concert. All those kinds of things are, are, are affecting the way that we consume media. What concerns me more as a marketer um, that we've talked about on this show, which brings up sort of the second trend here, which is not necessarily the time of media because that's something that, quite frankly, is going to fluctuate uh, and 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 can only go so high because there is a linear limit to all of this um, but it's the where we're spending our time and what we've seen is is that the walled gardens have become so you know so big that what was the case in 2007 or 2008 or 2010 where you might consume media from you know I, I don't know what the numbers are but it's but but let's say, eight or 10 or 12 websites, email newsletters, you know, um, video platforms, et cetera, et cetera, is now down to like two, right? Where it's basically you're on Google, some sort of Google platform or some sort of Facebook platform and maybe Netflix or Amazon. And that's kind of it, right? That's So it's this idea of the decreasing you know number of icons that we actually tap on to consume media that concerns me more as a marketer because what that does is 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 limit my ability to reach those people when i want to reach them without going through some intermediary so that's why this whole idea of things like an open and free web and net neutrality and all those things are so hot and bothersome for me is because for me, the real concern about where people are spending their time is not how much time they're spending on media. That's just something I deal with as a you know, as a marketing person. But what concerns me would be the, you know, the the, the places that they're spending their time and how easy it is or difficult it is to get to them.
0: No, it's interesting. I mean, you've brought this up in many of your speeches where you'll say that today is like you know, we're, you know, Facebook and Twitter and Snapchat, whatever, is like the NBC, ABC, and CBS of our day. That's right. You've said that many times, where it seems to be getting worse, actually, where if we go back in the day where we had those main networks, we had uh, you know, basically limited companies that were creating content. And if we wanted to access media, that's where we went. And then we had this early stage in the Internet where we – we're going all kinds of different places and Yahoo and Alta Vista were sending us to all these interesting websites and it was a heyday for entrepreneurs and media. And now you really have I mean, I just wrote these down. Just to see if I forget one. Apple, Facebook, Microsoft, Disney, Netflix, Amazon, Google. Is there any yeah, other ones? You
1: No. I mean you've you've I mean you know you might throw Disney in there but oh no, I did
0: no I, I, I did yeah I just, oh, you did yeah oh, Disney's yeah. in there just because yeah. how successful Disney plus has been. Um, so the the question from a marketing standpoint is if we want to uh, if we want to create advertising campaigns or we actually want to create content, let's say in the form of a podcast, uh, we have limited there are companies that have the power to give and take it away. And that's what scares me exactly. That's what scares yeah. me right
1: now. Yeah, I mean, here's—I mean, this is just a, a little bit of a side fact, um, which I thought was just fascinating. But it may be my inside baseball mind that, that that finds it so fascinating. So the Golden Globes happened while we were off the last couple of weeks as well. And um, did you watch the Golden Globes? I watched
0: uh, some of the. I watched the Ricky Gervais opening and the Tom Hanks. Yeah. Thank you.
1: Yeah. So here's a here's a here's a fun little fact for you. Not only is this the first year that I don't think the first year, but but, but perhaps the first year um, that there were no broadcast television shows uh, that won anything. Um, it was also the first year when no broadcast, like ABC, CBS, NBC, broadcast TV, none of them were nominated. There was no – none of the sitcoms, none of the it shows had, that were right? on broadcast television oh were not God. even nominated. So everything that was coming through the Golden Globes was Netflix, Hulu, um, the one cable network that won one award, FX, won for um, the, the Loudest Voice, um, and um, and I think HBO won, of course, for – they won a few awards. They won for um, uh, uh, Chernobyl. Chernobyl. But other than that, it was all Netflix, all Amazon, all Hulu. It was it was all basically streaming services, which is amazing, you know. And of course, Apple was nominated for the Morning Show, um, and it was uh, it was it's, it's a very interesting time. I guess
0: I guess just wrapping this up. Where do, where do we go? Where do we go with this information? I mean, that's. I mean, I my I was talking to my son the other day, and he was telling me about the you know the YouTube regulation that just came out. Actually, I just got an email from YouTube saying that if you have a YouTube channel that's designated for kids, they will no longer send personalized ads or track any data. I saw that. Yeah. Did you see that one? Yeah. Well, the the issue that. That Adam had, my son, who he makes uh, NBA 2K videos, is, is, is that if you – he doesn't really make content for kids. I mean, it's kid-friendly, but he doesn't make it for kids. But if you, you say it's for kids, then you don't nearly get as much advertising revenue that if you say it's not for kids. So he wants to say that it's not for – I mean, it's a whole issue. Right now, you've got to figure out and play their game so that you can actually generate revenue. But the issue is, and the issue that a lot of these content creators are having is their livelihoods are being desi- controlled. And we've talked about this for years, right? They're being controlled by other companies. Right. And That's it's right. very, very difficult right now as a marketer creating content where you're when you deliver it on platforms and build your audiences on those lands and you really have no control over it. And I just feel bad so, about the whole yeah. thing.
1: Something, something, something. Rented land. Right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's
0: <laughs> get
1: yeah. You know, just get build your. But the thing is, it's right, hard. It's harder than ever the, before now. That's why it concerns me, right? Is is that you go you go build this really cool thing, and you're basically the real estate that's left is is out in the you know, Mojave Desert. You know what I mean? It's like ain't nobody out there. So. Yeah. Yeah. Fun times. Hashtag fun times. (laughs) This is the uplifting
0: episode. It's like, (laughs) let's just go and give up. Well,
1: speaking of uplifting, let's move to our next article. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Just as depressing. (laughs) Um, It's from our friends again at New York Times, but uh, Facebook made news um, this uh, this week um, and the company said the headline here is Facebook says it will ban deepfakes. The company said it would remove videos altered by artificial intelligence in ways meant to mislead viewers. The article opens up by saying Facebook says it will ban videos that are heavily manipulated by artificial intelligence. The latest in a string of changes by the company to combat the flow of false information on its site. A company executive said in a blog post late Monday that the social network would remove videos, often called deepfakes, that artificial intelligence has altered in ways that would likely mislead someone into thinking that a subject of the video said words that they did not actually say. Um, But they did not say that they were going to... Uh, take out shallow fakes or even middle-level fakes or fake ads or anything where the content itself is is actually uh, false and misleading, just the actual artificial intelligence itself. What say you, Mr. Polizzi, about uh, the Facebook announcement here? I know you're hot on this topic.
0: Yeah, I'm very disappointed with it, actually, because what the first thing, when I saw this come up, I thought this was what it was, and I was exactly right. And I, I'm usually not right, but in this one, I was because <laughs> right. I thought that it was Facebook coming out with something to sort of uh, make peace with uh, the legislators looking at them and all the lawsuits and what Facebook happened to Facebook in 2016. So they came out with this and said, okay, uh, we're not going anything manipulated by artificial intelligence and the whole deepfake thing. We're going to make sure that we stop that. But at the same time, they're not doing anything about outright, outright lies, things that you know are not true on the platform. And until they deal with that, it's really going to get crazy during election season. And I'm really concerned about it. You know, you and I have talked about this before. Facebook is the most important player in, the, in election season. They are absolutely the most important one, even though my sons aren't on Facebook and they don't think anybody's on Facebook. Every, I, said, I told them, I said, well, everyone with money in the world is on Facebook. <laughs> so you should start paying attention to this. And what you said before, there's they're, they're allowing what people call cheap fakes or shallow fakes, which is basically just deceptive content. That will continue. Uh, and they'll make claims about uh, they don't want to... Uh, cut down on free speech and things, but there are ways to do this where there are outright lies happening, and we've seen this happen in political campaigns, and they're not doing anything about it. And um, the other thing is, is that it seems like the system they have in place before they, in the, the article talks about this, when they say they're going to take down a deep fake or they have a system to take this down, usually it's already gone viral before it's taken down. So the damage That's right. is generally yeah, it's done. done. I don't know. What do you, I wish they would have come out with more. I don't know if they will. I'm anticipating that there's going to be something else in three months and something else maybe, you know, in September, right before election season, where they'll, they'll start to clamp down more on this. But I don't know. I don't know.
1: Yeah. You know, so... There is, I mean, there's so much here that's going to happen over the next 12 months. Well, let's call it 11 months um, as we get closer to electing or reelecting a president um, that is going to, like you say, it's going to get really messy um, over the next six months, seven, seven months here as we get into the heat uh, of the of the campaign. As it pertains to all these platforms, what I'm hopeful for, you know, one of the things that I've discovered, I guess, um, in doing research around trust and privacy and and, and all that kind of thing was, you know, there was a time in this country in the late 1800s where yellow journalism and newspapers were allowed to run amok and they weren't really held to any um, standards, um, and so it was a time when the democratized media really, you know, you, anybody with a printing press could basically print a newspaper. And if it was printed, it must be true. Therefore, all the stuff with yellow journalism came out about, you know, people and scandals and, you know, who was doing who and all those sort of things. What ended up sort of tipping the scales, it's really hard to argue, sort of, um, correlation causation here, but one of the things that really ended the ended that whole period was the sort of Supreme Court look at um, privacy um, and Justice Brandeis, uh, famous of course for you know Brandeis University and all of that, and of course the Supreme Court Justice. Um, basically published one of the most influential essays on the right to privacy that has been. And it's and it's become a little more of a thing lately with privacy becoming things. So I'm hopeful, I guess, that in today's world, saner heads can prevail. And at some point, the Twitters, the Facebooks... Um, the platforms that are out there can be held to some standard. I don't know if they're truly a media company and need to police every single thing that goes on and intervene. But I knew I do know that the, the absence of it is also not the right answer. There is some middle ground here that we can strike where privacy and truth can be— regulated if for lack of a better word and we can start to trust our media organizations again and, and, and all of that. So it's, it's a, it's a big topic and certainly not one that these two chuckleheads are going to solve anytime soon, but it's, 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 it's it's out there.
0: It's so interesting. I was talking with my two sons about it and I was actually calling for regulation, which I'm not, I've never been a guy
1: Right. that's been into regulation.
0: I don't want any regulation at all, but I'm trying to think of, okay, what? let's just take the platform like Twitter, and you have somebody that's spreading lies on Twitter. What do you do with that? Now, it's very hard to monitor everyone on the platform, so what do you do? Do you say that if somebody has, let's say, you pick an arbitrary number, let's say more than 100,000 followers, that that's large enough to uh to say that that person is a quote-unquote media company right and has some responsibility to that audience and you get you know if you if you're found out that you share something that's blatantly false one time you get put on a list and if you do something a second what i don't know is it three strikes and you're out like poor josh gordon (laughs) yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> that just can't, can't stay clean in the NFL? I mean, can it be right. something like that? I think that there's some kind of solution there uh, because it makes it harder for the rest of us marketers. You know, when, when, when you have truthful content and you're trying to build an audience and then all around you there's lies and deep fakes and shallow fakes. And, and I mean, how, how do you deal with this? Somebody has to regulate something. And it has to be more than what Facebook just did coming to
1: the table. That's right. That's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. All right. Enough of that. Um, let's move on to our next article, which is has a little more fun <laughs> aspect to it. Um, which is, of course, this is the week of CES, the big consumer electronics show that they have every year in Las Vegas, and it's one of the largest, of course, events um, of its kind in the world. Um, and it's known for a lot of things: gadgets and robots and three D printing and all sorts of things. But marketers come to that uh, conference with a lot of questions, and so they'll show uh, the, the posts that we'll link to in the. Uh, show notes will be from marketingweek.com and an article by Tom Goodwin, the um, guy out there on LinkedIn who talks a lot about innovation and stuff. And he said, what are the five questions that marketers um, are thinking about this year as they look at CES? And I thought it was a good one for us to pick a couple of these and talk about a little bit, some of the five questions that he chose um, and privacy is one of them, which we won't talk about. Um, but, um, there's a few other ones here that I thought were interesting, Joan, to get your, get your take on. Um, so for example, uh, what about, uh, who, one of the questions is who should we learn from? Who, who should we, who should we actually be learning from right now in terms of, of marketers? What do you, what do you think about the, well, what do you think about the questions and what do you think about that one specifically?
0: Well, I think that, what when the author talks about this what i thought was most interesting is he's not talking about the change in technology he's talking about the change in business models which right. you and exactly. i have talked about forever yeah. which i think is we we of course in the media side we've been seeing this forever and you've got a rave later that i won't give away that's talked about a huge change in a business model for a media company that's just changed everything but um i, I don't know i mean i i i think that Uh, If you look at, we talked about this in a little bit before, about all these technology companies, The, the technology companies that are not just creating new technology, but are building audiences at the same time and are starting to generate revenue in all kinds of different ways, a la, they're all becoming like Disney. They really yeah. are all becoming like Disney, where, oh, you have a Disney media company? Disney also sells a bunch of products and services. So when I look at this article, I didn't think that there was anything totally enlightening, totally new for 2020, except for the fact that for some reason for the last 10 years, this has totally slipped by us that the business models for these large technology companies have completely changed, and now they're dominating every part of our life. That's what I read into it. Again, I don't want to be negative, which I am for some reason, I'm <laughs> negative on every one of these articles, but that's what I saw. I don't know what you saw out of that.
1: You know, I see, I see that's, a well, I, I'm, a, I'm a little more glasses half full, I guess, here, but I do see um, what I think is most interesting in, in this question that, uh, that the author asks here is the idea of the opportunity here for all of those new business models to really take effect. I mean, one of the things that we often forget about, you know, as marketers, because we get so wrapped up in our marketing technology and how people buy and how, you know, the digital content and, you know, the web and all the stuff that we talked about here is that we forget that technology has also happened other places as well. You know, one of the biggest opportunities that I see these days is how easy it is to get into the product development business these days. You know, I saw some statistic, which was just amazing to me, like 90% of the cost has come out of manufacturing. Um, which means that if you want if you meaning you Joe want to make some cool product like a coffee mug or a you know or some sort of furniture or so, you know something that needs to be manufactured it, it's possible now to, for you to basically have the technology to either think about 3d printing it or to mass produce it at a very very low cost so there's all these other technologies that have happened over the last 20 years that have really, Enabled new business models, and what a lot of people have done is taken this technology and sort of applied it to the old business models. And I think what Tom is actually saying here in this article is is that there's lots of companies, like car companies and uh, software companies, and all these. You know, it, it happens in technology sooner, I guess. But they're not only enabling some cool new tech; they're enabling a new business model over the top of it. And to me, that's exciting. That's the exciting thing that we can do. As marketing people, is to think about how do we move our business to a new model, not just a new product, but a new, a completely new way of making money.
0: Now it brings to mind um, Tesla specifically, where of course you know you want to buy a Tesla, that's great, fantastic, but at the same time, if you want the Tesla operating system and you want every, all the bells and whistles of the software, you actually have to pay after a free trial. You actually have to pay for it on a monthly basis. And
1: for upgrades.
0: Yeah, so it's interesting <laughs> where if you look at how, so let's take a look at how Ford and General Motors is valued from a price-to-earnings basis, which is much lower, much, much lower than a Tesla. Well, at the same time, Tesla, and I'm sure they have other revenue streams, but Tesla doesn't just have the revenue stream of somebody paying upfront for their car, which never seems to happen, but somebody will pay up front just to get a down payment on a car that they won't get for a year, then they get the car, then they have to pay a monthly subscription for software, and then who knows what else is coming because we're going to see the fight for media happen inside the car itself, especially when they go self-driving. So it's interesting to, to see that happen. So you're, you know, you're making the connection from a marketing standpoint that we've been talking about for a long time, where... Why, why do you just ha- – you don't just have to specifically fund your marketing department through traditional budget by selling more products and services and showing your chief marketing officer or CEO that you've done a great job. You can drive six, seven, eight different types of revenue as you build an audience and you create media and you do marketing in a smart manner. Um, so that's, I guess, to be positive, (laughs) to bring it back, to, you know, take some of your glasses, have full mentality. That's the good thing about what's going on right now, because I don't think there's, we're not, there's not the question as much as five years ago, if you'd have brought this stuff up in marketing, they, people would have thought you were crazy and you'd probably get fired. And today they're open
1: to it. Yeah. Fun fact. Um, I don't know if you meant this or not, but, uh, just yesterday, Tesla's market cap, um, Went higher than Ford's market cap at its peak. So it's Tesla is now as big as Ford Motor Company Ford ever has was. ever been. Yeah, $88 billion now Tesla is worth with its stock price going up over the last couple of weeks.
0: Yeah, it's really so taken, yeah, it's, taken off. It's yeah. amazing. So
1: for all those who are thinking Tesla's like hurting, <laughs> no, they're not really hurting right now at all. Um, well, that's a, of,
0: they've really brought the pre sell. I mean, I can't remember. I don't. I don't have my uh, automotive history down as much as other ones. But I, I think the last time it was done wasn't. Didn't Tucker do it back in the '40s or '50s, where he was trying to pre-sell Tucker's? Yeah, where, th- that's right. That's the last time I can remember. And you've got Elon Musk coming back and doing the same thing and say okay yeah. well let's see what the demand is and we'll sell it up front and then we'll manufacture it.
1: That's right. And Ford is now doing that by the way. You can you can pre-order the new electric Ford Mustang. So you can they're they're actually taking uh, taking pre-orders for that. So yeah. New ways, new ways of, 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 of doing business. Any of these other questions sort of strike you as, as really interesting for marketers?
0: No, the, the only thing that I wrote down that I thought was interesting, and the author talks about this is you've got 5G, you've got uh, eight, what is it AK television. And what the, uh, what the author talks about is it seems like advertising in itself, hasn't been innovating at the same rate as technology because we're just taking regular old advertising and throwing it into new pipes. Yeah. And I think what, what the author is challenging marketers with is, wow, you have all this wonderful new technology and you're doing the same old things with it.
1: (laughs) which is by the way, human nature, right? You've heard, you've heard me say this a million times during uh, our workshops when we talk about, um, you know, the, the, the fact that we tend to bring, as new technologies come in, we tend to bring our old lenses to it, right? So when the first thing we did when we invented television, we turned the cameras around and filmed radio plays, right? When you know when we, when the first thing we did when we invented the internet, was we looked at it like digital and electronic publishing, and so you had above the fold and below the fold. We still call it page views. You know, we we, we apply the 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 old lenses to it um, that uh, that we that we that we still have. So it's yeah, but but you're right. We haven't evolved at all in terms of being able to um, evolve what we're doing with all of this fantastically new technology. There's this interesting thing called content that we could start to be doing, but you know, you know, uh, it, uh, what's uh, and
0: I, I totally get why. I mean, the one challenge that a lot of people listening to this know, you know, I released my novel, The Will to Die, on podcast platforms just to try something different, do something new. You know, Robert, I don't, I haven't talked to you about this. The biggest challenge I have is people don't know how to do it. They, right. There are people exactly. that th- people think that the only way that you listen to an audiobook is on Audible. That's they right. didn't know there was a different way to do it. And I'm like, oh, shoot, you just, you know, you have a smartphone, you go to whatever your player is, and you just start listening. And <laughs> I, I can't tell you how many uh, links that I've sent people with how-to instructions about just, just how to start listening to it. So I understand why there's marketers out there that know how to do it because the learn it's you you've got to make sure people understand how to engage in the content yeah. first so somebody has to do it i guess but that's been frustrating so i can see why people just want to do the same old thing because you have that that learning that you have to break through there
1: yeah exactly right well, very quickly, we'll just do, we'll cover this this article really, really quickly here, and then get to our rants and rave section. Um, but I thought it was um, uh, a fascinating uh, article, which is um, from the Wall Street Journal. Um, speaking of sort of old things coming back again, um, the article is entitled Coca Cola resurrects the post of Chief Marketing Officer. We've talked on this show uh, a number of times and certainly um, have, have uh, seen the articles of late, especially mid to late last year, that said, oh, the CMO title is dead, CMO title is no longer, and they always used Coca-Cola sort of as the poster child there. Well, here we go. Two years after eliminating the role of Chief Marketing Officer, says the Wall Street Journal, in favor of a more powerful Chief Growth Officer, Coca-Cola is resurrecting the CMO post. Francisco Crespo, who has, which is a great name, by the way, just uh, just an (laughs) awesome name, Francisco Crespo, um, who has overseen marketing and other duties as Coca-Cola's first chief growth officer since 2017 will retire in 2020, the company said Manolo Arroyo. I don't know where they get these guys, but it's awesome. It's like Francisco Crespo to Manolo Arroyo. Uh, The president of the company's Asia Pacific Group was named to take on the marketing portion of Mr. Crespo's responsibility under the resurrected title of CMO. So they go on to explain how some companies have uh, gotten rid of the CMO title, but basically Coca-Cola now feels that the CMO title was um, worth bringing back. I am very glad to see this. I'll just give you my quick take on it. Yeah, please. I do. think I, I think it's uh, you know, I, I'm a big fan, un, unabashedly, admittedly, uh, a fan of the CMO title. I think it is uh, important that we have a leader in our business that handles marketing strategy, that governs and provides the vision for what marketing should be in the 21st century. And so I'm glad to see them come back. I actually don't care whether it's called chief marketing officer or chief growth officer. If I'm completely honest, I kind of care a little bit about chief marketing officer. But, you know, ultimately, I think it's a good move. um, And I don't don't see the CMO job going away anytime soon.
0: Well, my take is not as nice (laughs) as yours. (laughs) All right. No, no, no! I totally agree with you. I didn't like it when they did this two years ago, even though they called it the, the chief growth officer. Yeah. Here's my problem with it. Okay, they're By the way, the Count of Francisco Cresto. That's what I. That's what I thought. <laughs> yeah, of it, right. Here's the problem I have. This, this Francisco uh, is also Coke's president of Coke's Asia Pacific Group, and he will also be chief marketing officer. This is a side gig. They've given him a side gig, of CMO. This is not good, Robert. It's you. You. You need somebody well, to to be uh, the right, chief marketing officer. Yeah, I hear officer. that. I hear that. I hear that. That's a Coca-Cola. If you if issue, you're the though, if, if you're the president of Coca-Cola's Asia Pacific group, and also the chief marketing officer, okay. What what job are you gonna do? Those are two big jobs. Very important jobs. Which one are you gonna do? I'm just. I'm asking the question. I don't know.
1: Yes. I I, I I couldn't agree more with that. Although you don't know which one is the side gig, right? Um, no. Don't And so, don't know. you know, it may be – because by the way, this happens all the time with CEOs as well, right? CEO, you know, CEO and president of the North American division or CEO and also leader of the Asia-Pac group or, you know, whatever it is. This happens at all the C-level uh, where they – wherever they come from and it may be quite frankly that he is managing Asia pack as a you know as a, as a as a side gig until they get somebody in there or that he's got a, a lieutenant um, who's great at uh, at their job so uh, you know i don't put too yep. much Okay. I, into, the, into the specifics of that, but but I hear what you're saying. I yes, hear what you're saying. Yes, is but, the CMO job is worth its own 100% resource.
0: That's ex- exactly right. You and I have been in, in the corporate environment long enough to know that when somebody leaves and retires and they split off roles, which is what they did, they took that CMO role, which was out of the chief growth, growth officer role, and they gave it to this new guy that's running Asia Pacific, and that's a bolt-on the bolt-on generally becomes a subsidiary of anything else you're doing. In general, I'm not saying that this is the case.
1: Yeah, no, I don't well, know, But in general, it, no, that's no, no. In what general, happens. You, in general, you're right. You know, and 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 knowing Coca-Cola as I do, and sort of their history with the way they do this, I, I could very well see that being the case here too, because Coca-Cola is known to be an extraordinarily political. Uh, organization. I'm not that most big businesses aren't, but Coca-Cola sort of takes it to another level. Um, So I could see that here, right? Uh, So I hear what you're saying. I I, I totally hear what you're saying. Sure you do. (laughs) In any event, the CMO job is alive and well, or at least alive. We don't know how well it is. (laughs) So... Cranky Joe uh, is now uh, going to uh, kick us off into our your and your empirically found favorite part of the show, which is, of course, our rants and raves section, which is where Joe and I go off. Oh, no, you know what we need to do first? I've totally forgot. We need to thank the wonderful people who make this show possible. Good Lord. How did I almost forget to do that?
0: Because we're Um, running long. (laughs) That's that's exactly why. All right. Uh, Content Tech Summit is happening again. It's here. It's It's coming up. It's coming up. It's coming up. San Diego, April 20th to 22nd, 2020. Again, a lot of twos. April 20th to 22nd, 2020. Register now at contenttechsummit.com. You want to make sure you get there. If you are really confused and having a tough time with dealing with all the new technology and innovative processes that are going on that are changing marketing. And you've also got to figure out this whole content marketing strategy thing, especially for enterprise brands. Content tech is definitely the event for you. Um, You've got a great lineup, Robert. Why don't you go through? I know you've got some people from Microsoft. You've got Airstream. You've got Hilton. You've got some amazing talent coming Yeah, we've got
1: MasterCard. um, uh, Meg from Hilton, who runs their content strategy there, is going to be fantastic. We've got Cleve Gibbon from uh, Wonderman Thompson. He's going to be talking about uh, technology and uh, marketing and content. Um, Yeah, it's an incredible lineup right now.
0: Yeah, so basically, uh, I mean, if you really are trying to figure out how to integrate Technology and content and marketing. This is the best event to go to. content April twentieth to twenty second, twenty twenty.
1: There it is. Thank you for correcting the error of my way. <laughs> um, it's almost as if I took that four twenty thing literally and went. Oh, I forgot, dude. I forgot. Um, anyway, did you
0: did did you impress upon? CMI to have the event on 420?
1: I that did not. I did not. i no. um, not sure. Although I'm, you know, uh, I'm, you know, I mean, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> there, could be, there could be some surprises.
0: That I just took to a end. sip of my drink. I was yeah. spit it right in the microphone. <laughs> yeah, Thank
1: exactly. you for that. Right. And right now all the Informa people are going, what did he just say? <laughs> <laughs> Um, now it is time, folks, for your favorite part of the show. It is our Rants and rave section, when Joe and I go off in a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that makes us cranky, like Joe is today, um, or makes us feel really, really good, like we've just taken a little 420. Um, and so, let's see here. Let's uh, you go first. Actually, you, no, let me go, you first. go first. Okay. Yeah, you I go got
0: first. a very brief rant and rave. It happens to be the same article. Uh, which is interesting. So, uh, a, a big rave for the folks at ANA, uh, Association of National Advertisers. Uh, they created an article here called B2B Brands Continue Steep Climb Up the Content Marketing Hill. Uh, they were nice enough to interview me for this. This is uh, John Obrick actually wrote this article, and I've known John for years since he was at B two b magazine and a bunch of other publications. So and it's actually a really good sort of history of how we got here in b two b content marketing. Um, and there's a lot of smart people and Matt Pressern's in this article too. Do you remember friend of CMI uh, Robert? And uh, we, it goes through a lot of research, uh, some research from CMI marketing profs as well, talking about why things aren't working. Like for example, you know, three reasons why B2B marketers don't do well with content marketing is one, much of their content is not compelling or differentiated. Two, content marketing is too often campaign driven. Three, companies dabble rather than commit for the long run. So it's a really good article. We'll put it in the show notes. Uh, so make sure you get a read at that. my. So that's my rave. My rant is, so I get an email from John. By the way, I love all the people at A and A. I got nothing bad to say about it. But I got two emails from them to let to let me know that the article was ready. So Robert, I go in to click on it, and of course I can't read it because I got to sign up, which they told me I had to sign up. So you've got to. I had to give all kinds of information, more than if I was filling out a credit card application to get access <laughs> to this site. Um, it wasn't really that bad. I'm exaggerating. But um, it. I would like to see the folks at ANA uh, maybe not ask for as much information, maybe do what the New York Times does, where they'll, they'll ask for you know your name and email address to start with. And then as you want more content, they ask for a little bit more. And so the, the learning here for marketers... If you have gated a gated site and you have some kind of a subscription service to your content, start out small, maybe name, email address to start. And as people start engaging in more content and you build a relationship with them, then you can start asking for more and more things. And you can do that very easily through a marketing automation system, whichever one you would like to use, instead of asking for 17 things up front where you get a lot of um, – you get a lot of, you lose a lot of people through that. So I'd be interested in seeing what the stats are and how many people they lose by, uh, by going through So, But if you want to read this content, I guess you can make the decision whether or not you want to sign up. <laughs>
1: right for it exactly and so or yeah give over your give over and your i get it
0: blood. i i get it it's tough i totally get it it's much yeah. easier to ask for it all up front the problem is you just lose a lot of people
1: well so. it's 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 easier for you yes uh, it's easier yeah. for you as the marketing person to ask for it all up front but the question you always have to ask yourself is if you've delivered enough value to ask for that amount of data yet and you know you, it, It's an article about you. So, I mean, it couldn't have been more valuable for you. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you still paused on it. So... I'm like, um, I'm, okay, what do I... I'm just going to hazard like, a guess yeah. that, you know... For example, I'm not interested in registering that much information to go read an article about you. So... <laughs> Just to be quite honest. All right. We're just going to get right off of this
0: topic. Uh, so what's your, do you have a rant or rave? Do I do.
1: I have a rave. I have a, a, a wonderful, fantastic rave. Oh, goody. Um, to finish us off on. This one comes to us courtesy of What's New in Publishing. Uh, yet again, another great article from them. Um this is the headline that uh, is here is BuzzFeed plans to cut out Google and other middlemen to solve publishers attribution problem. I think they kind of buried the lead here a little bit. But but the the the, the real it's a it's a wonderful article because what it does is goes through um, BuzzFeed and their very sort of chaotic 2019. Um, as they started to introduce a lot of new businesses and a lot of new business models. And this just fits right into what we've been talking about the entire show. Um, They talk about their revenue percentages, where they're getting their money from. And basically, the fastest growing here um, is uh, uh, commerce. And we've talked about that many times in this show. They've introduced products, including cookware and cookbooks and all sorts of things. Now that makes up 21% of their overall revenue, up from just 9% two years earlier. So that's more than doubled in the last two years. $425 million uh, in directly attributable transactions. And that number this year is, of course, expected to be a lot bigger. One of the things that they – so as they go through this, the, the thing that they've learned as commerce has grown is that they can actually start to take out some of the middlemen like Google and Facebook and those that are sort of – they get in the way of saying, hey, I went and had this amazing experience on this content, and now I want to buy something related to that content. Well, now I'm going to go do a Google search or go search on Facebook or go search somewhere else and find that. Click on an ad. And then bring me to that thing. They could remove that middleman that basically takes that by basically building in affiliate-like links to their own shopping. Um, What they've ostensibly discovered is content marketing, folks. They've ostensibly discovered that having owned media and then doing affiliate links to their um, their own products is actually working. Um, and that they're actually decreasing their need for advertising and promotional costs as a result of that. I, I know this sounds like, for those of you who have followed content marketing forever, like, well, duh, that's the whole point. Yeah, duh, that's the whole point. This business model that they have been able to create here by creating such an amazing publishing platform, a media operation, has given them this capability and this wonderfully innovative idea to say, we can now simply just provide affiliate links and, and ways to buy product that we make, quite frankly, um, through our, the media that we create. And that's what they're really going to focus in on doing is basically reducing the friction, as it were, of you go, you know, whether it's cookware, whether it's fashion, whether, you know, who knows what other products in commerce they're going to launch under different brands, they have started to realize that by differentiating their business model, they can create a whole platform of multiple revenue models that keeps people within the BuzzFeed family, as it were. And I think it's just an amazing overview for any of you who are thinking about trying to build some kind of business case for a content marketing program that drives traffic and engage traffic to your e-commerce or other kinds of, of transactional types of shopping. Here it is. This is like this is them showing you that they have doubled their revenue in the last um, in, in the last two years. So anyway, I, I just thought it was an amazing, wonderful case study here um, and one that we should all pay attention to.
0: Oh, I, lo- I absolutely love this case study. Uh, I've seen in some places that they think they're going to double that number again from four twenty five to almost a billion dollars. Yeah, in the next year. So it's it's going to be interesting when when you're driving the majority of your revenue through selling your own products and services, will you still be called a media company?
1: Right. Exactly. I'm just curious. You'd be called Google or Facebook. Yeah,
0: (laughs) exactly. Yeah. They've really, they've really figured it out. We've been talking about this for a long time. They absolutely have figured it out and they're taking the whole content marketing approach and they've been successful with it. And I just absolutely love it. And just because they started out as a media company doesn't mean that us marketers can't use this example
1: and say, We can do this too. Yeah. They're just doing in the other they're doing it in the opposite way that we as product marketers would have done it, right? Which is, you know, we mostly build products and services and then try to build media around it. They built media and now they're building products and services around it. It's no different. It's as you have so often said, it's just where does the revenue come from? That's the only difference in in a media company and a product company these days.
0: Well, honestly, if you were going to launch a business today, this is exactly the business model I would launch. I would start exactly the way BuzzFeed did, build an audience first and then sell products and services once you build that relationship. But yeah, I don't know. Whatever.
1: I I don't know. Whatever. I don't know. Whatever. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Um, all right, mister, where are you this week? What's going on? Uh, Where
0: am I? We are here. Uh, We're not doing – I'm actually <laughs> – uh, we're volunteering for uh, a Billy Joel Elton John piano. It's not them, but it's like people that are supposed to be like them okay. play the piano. And this. So I'm very excited about hearing some – billy joel and john music that's not played by Bill and joel and Elton john but it's nice. hopefully be good so we're gonna be sticking around there i'm do i believe it or not uh my youngest and i are doing a campus visit we're going to ohio state oh my this gosh. weekend my youngest that's this amazing. is crazy yeah, yeah now i feel really old not for all you know, all the comments we had at the beginning of the show and now this so yeah no it's all good <laughs> i'm very excited about it so what do you got going on
1: Uh, I am prepping for my first business trip of the year next week. I will be in Chicago uh, visiting the lovely people at the Golden Arches, as it were, Um, the lovely folks at McDonald's. I'm going in and and working with them a little bit. And then I will be uh, doing another quick trip to San Francisco next week. And so it'll be uh, on the road for me next week. So um, and then the following week, uh, I, you know, as we get ready to record our next episode, I will be either just on before or just after seeing you. Um, that's right. I get, to, I get to see um, go to a lovely Cleveland. So yep, annual the, biannual sojourn to Cleveland, right. Ohio. So the, the travel begins. The work year begins next week for me.
0: I thought you were going to say you're going to McDowell's in Chicago since the new coming to America is is out (laughs) soon. Here we go. Yeah, Yeah, that is it.
1: Exactly. All right, folks, we are signing off. And if you like this episode, episode number 225, get yourself a shiny subscription, won't you? You know? Get uh, we want to be the one number one podcast for you in marketing. I know you know or or football really, if or or, you know just really any number one podcast would be meeting our goals. But um, you know, marketing seems like a good spot, and we need you to do that. So thank you for all your encouragement. Thank you for all your wonderful show posts. Of course, story ideas, story ideas, story ideas. We need them. We love them. Hashtag us up at this old marketing. Uh, If you're new to the show, of course we're publishing every other week now, Um, and if you want to get more of Joe or Robert. So Joe, they have a newsletter they can sign up for, I guess.
0: Yeah, if you'd like uh, every other Thursday, I send out a newsletter. Uh, Some of it's marketing. uh, Some of it is just me ranting about things. Uh, You can go get it at JoePolizzi.com.
1: All right, and cranky Joe, cranky Joe. Should, I should, should get cranky Joe. You should. You yeah. got to get cranky Joe. See, I got all. You you knew this before. I have a I have
0: a man cold, and wow. I've been and so I've been very negative this episode. So next yeah. episode, unless you liked it, <laughs> I <I'll, you> know. <laughs> I'm so. I'm if but probably like sorry. Joe, yeah, there you go. Go to crankyjo.com. Uh, so how about you, Robert? How of course, find all the content
1: strategy, content marketing, and content, content, content is at contentadvisory.net, um, and we'd love to see you there. Um, and of course, just tune in next week will uh, or, or a couple of weeks from now when uh, when we're back here. And in the meantime, remember, everybody, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. See you in a couple of weeks on this old marketing.